Wait, are you testing this? Uh, yeah. Okay. Wait. Uh, there is plenty of there are plenty of Schwarzenegger <laughs> MP3s out there to <laughs> no. choose from. We can just select a few uh, as appropriate as needed. So you you mentioned you were talking about penises with your son. <laughs> so he's at that age where like everything you know reminds him of bathroom stuff. It's like that right. looks like everything is penis. If he wants to get someone to laugh, he just says penis. I'm not saying I taught him that, but I, I mean, I, does that ever go away? No, because he learned it from watching me. So he said something like that. And like my father, I'm always looking for opportunities to teach my kids language, like new words and, and what things mean. It's like, it's yeah. ongoing. I've been going through it my whole life. Right. So I do it to my children. Uh, it, you know, it's an abuse that's like, you know, um, grammatical in nature. And um, so I said, oh, I said, that is some phallus. And I said, and then I go, do you know what a phallus is? <laughs> he goes, what is that? I'm like, that's the Latin for the word. Like, it's like a penis. So if you, if something, it looks like a penis, we, we call it a phallic symbol. And then my wife was like, what the hell are you talking about? I said, I'm teaching him Latin. Pre <laughs> pre prepare for a call from the school yeah. soon. <laughs> I already got one from cursing in German. Really? Yeah. You have you have smart kids. I said, Scheiße. I, I always say, you know, curse in German around the kids. Right. And then uh, they and figured it out. And then he said it at school or something. And the teacher must have known what he was saying. And he says, my dad taught me how to do it. <laughs> they, they always... Um they always sell you right down the river. I it's know, like, man. You know, they flip like, <laughs> they like flip the FBI you. is like twisting their arm. It's crazy. Uh, well, I've got something to say. And we're back. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Recovery <laughs> in the Middle Ages, I'm the podcast the about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat. And I'm currently Mike. And boy, do we have a show for you. Oh, yeah. Boy, do we have a show for you. Yeah. And some cool music here. While I do the Today on RMA, something with like strings. Today on RMA. I, I don't think so. I think I'm going to leave it just like that. <laughs> Nat and Mike discuss recovery elevator creator Paul Churchill's sorry, books. calling me from Louisiana. Alcohol is shit in this multi-part RMA book club special edition. And Mike goes all HGTV on our asses and plans to build a treehouse. All this and more on a very special edition of RMA. All right, All right. We're back. I think I'm missing a page. Um, what page are you missing? It says wrap up on the next page, so I think we might be a little out of. God damn are it! Are we done already? No, but you know, <laughs> it's like one of the. Okay, here's what happened. I was printing out the thing this morning, and my laptop was taking too long. I'm going to print it out again. I guess don't, don't print it. Out. Okay, I'll just reorder. It was the taking pages. forever to print out. So it's not like the people listening to us have anything other, else to <laughs> do but listen than watch me reorganize the outline. But that's fine. <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> so Jesus, I printed it on my up, dude. Like I couldn't this. wait, right, for it to print. Mm -hmm. I was waiting for the computer, so I said, "Fuck it, I'm going oh, to just backwards." That's I, what it is. Yeah. Oh, so I printed okay. one on my phone, and uh, then as soon as the computer caught up, I printed it on. Right, well, why don't you do the housekeeping while I'm doing this? Right. Um, visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Um, and visit us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and more. Just search Recovery in the Middle Ages and all our pages magically appear. Great reviews will be read on the show. Okay. Open your Apple Podcasts app. Search for our show. Click 
the drunk monk. Scroll down to where it says reviews. The drunk monk. That's what I call him. That's then, the name of our bar. I came once up we, with that last once last we relapse night. when we buy a bar. <laughs> then click write a review, give us five stars, and say how much you love us. Tell us your story by logging on to middleagesrecovery.com. Scroll down and fill out our your story form, and you could hear your review read on the air. Is new merch available? New merch is apparently available. Send us a message on our Facebook group or email uh, Mike R at middleagesrecovery.com for details. As soon as Nat tells me what the new merch is, uh, your email will be answered. Brand new merch. It's going to be very exciting. Um, Did you what? order like tie-dyes or something? I didn't order anything. No. Just, okay. This is just, I'm talking things. <laughs> hey, I just remember, want him to buy the shirts we made. Do you remember that guy a couple weeks ago who was like, hey, love the show. Where's my shirt? Yeah. Did you send him a shirt? No. I thought you sent him a shirt. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll check This is on a it. different guy. Ah, oh, fuck. I, I sent the shirt to Jeff from Tacoma, now of Alabama. Um, there was another guy. Yeah, I vaguely remember. Sorry, guy. We'll, uh, I apologize for... I saw your email. Is, is he get a free shirt, or is this like a well, we want we, money I, I for I think it. we ought to fucking send him a free one now. Shit. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm sorry. You are getting a shirt. Otherwise, no one's going to... You know. No, I think I wrote him back. Please send me your address. Didn't I write back? Because we can both look at that. That was Jeff, I think. Shit. Okay. I'm anyway, very, very sorry. Sorry, guys. Um, but I promise, if you... <laughs> If you send an email to me, I will send you a shirt. Yeah. You know, we both have our duties. You know, I do certain things and Mike does certain things. And Can we hold for one second? Hold, please. Sorry about that, folks. Yeah. So how was your, um, your week? Let's, uh, oh, we're doing my week first? Well, well I write Are it because we- well, I feel bad because I, when I'm doing the outline, that's part of my job. Mm-hmm. I, it's me, and I'm a narcissist, so I'm always putting my stuff first. And then I was thinking last Fucking night- Fucking drug addicts. Like, I cannot stand it. <laughs> an alcoholic will uh, steal your wallet, and an addict will steal your wallet and then help you look for it. Um, okay, what, so- How's your weekend? week? So my week started pretty poorly. Um, Sunday, I got a text from an old neighbor who told me that, um, who still lives in the uh, near the house I grew up in, who told me that apparently they are going to be tearing the house down and building some sort of monstrous... Your ancestral home? Monstrous mega mansion, McMansion in, in its place. Jeez. Is that the ancestral home of Mike? Yes. Well, at least since my my family goes way back on that piece of land, all the way back to 1964, um, when oh. my father had the house built. It's <laughs> a long ass time yeah. ago. And um, so we, I grew up there, you know, my sister and my parents and... Uh, so it was it kind of it kind of affected me more than I thought it was going to because usually I don't spend a lot of time ruminating about the house I grew up in. Uh I run past it occasionally because I only live, you know, like 5 miles away from it right now. But Wait, 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 wait. You grew up That's right. I forgot you grew up near here. Where did you think I grew up? I don't know. I pictured like someplace in Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. I was just talking to somebody from Idaho yesterday. Um, uh, so that's yeah, interesting. So, so I immediately get in the car and I drove back over there. Like, I don't know what I expected to see. Uh, they had not started tearing it down yet, but they had like uh, tied red ribbons around certain trees they were removing, mm. you know, and the house itself looks like nobody lives in it right now. So um, you should buy it. That'll be the ultimate well, full circle. It, it came up for sale a couple of years ago. Yeah. And uh, I crunched the numbers, but this being, you know, a bedroom community outside of New York City, the numbers uh, were crunching me rather yeah, than the yeah, yeah, yeah. other, other way around. Living uh, here is such a nightmare. I mean, sometimes. and taxes are thirty grand a year on that. Yeah, so, that's one of those. Yeah, yeah. So um, I had to I had to decline, but I'm, I'm, you know, I told my sister about it, and she got even more upset. And I, and you know, the more I think about it, like 
I'm like, you know, I didn't have a particularly joyous childhood in that house. It was okay, but, you know. It's still your childhood, though. It is. And um, so I want to leave a letter for the uh, the new owners to see if they'll let me walk through it before they send the wrecking ball over. Aww. Just so I can get some video, maybe. Could but, you, uh, would you, do you think that's a weird request? Like, if no. you got that request, would you be like, I don't want this guy walking around my house? No, I would honor it. Yeah. I would say that would be something that I'd be like, oh, that's that's cool. I mean, I, that you could do that for somebody. Yeah. Well, let's hope so, because apparently they're nice people. Can you live stream it on our Facebook page? Uh, <laughs> I should, right? I, it's, I mean, we need material. That's we, true. We're going to do more live. Well, I haven't talked to you about this yet. We are. <laughs> but all my favorite podcasters, well, some of them, in any case, the ones that do paranormal stuff, uh, like Jim Harold's Paranormal Podcast. It's a plug for you, Jim. Uh, he's got a huge podcast. He doesn't listen to this. Um, <laughs> Jim's not going to hear <laughs> he's that. He's definitely you know. not going to hear it. He writes me back sometimes on Facebook, but he will like arbitrarily do like a live stream, be like, hey, I'm just catching you up. And, you know, and he'd do like paranormal trivia and stuff like that. This would be great if anybody was paying attention to like well, our Facebook page. Maybe like, they would if we did something on it. Yeah, like so they could see us. So, so can- what are you drinking over here? I'm looking at this as a Starbucks product. But it has triple the amount of caffeine. Triple shot energy. Extra strength. Wow. I didn't know they made such a thing. Well, I don't know. It tastes good. And sometimes I don't want to sip a hot coffee. No, I understand. The weather is turning. I still want, um, I still need my caffeine. Okay. Just, Um, uh, sorry. It was funny. I was on some, uh, I was on one of these boards. Maybe it was Dopey Nation. And somebody was asking a question like, has anybody here actually been completely sober of everything, oh, I saw that, yeah. right? And, um, and then they, they got to the, dis- including caffeine. And of course, this is insanity. And so somebody said, yeah, well, I used to be up to 600 milligrams of caffeine a day. And the guy's like, oh, I usually, you know, keep trying to keep it under 250. And it was like, man, I commented like, only addicts think of their coffee drinking in terms of milligrams. <laughs> right, milligrams <laughs> like, of caffeine. Right, like only an addict would say that. It's funny though, as you get older, like I, I uh, had a couple days last week where I, I overdid it on the coffee a little bit and it turned me into a fucking lunatic, like, yeah. like not in a good way. Like I felt like I was jonesing, like I needed to go out and buy more, buy some Coke or something. Like, yeah, it was just well, a very weird feeling. I, I was not comfortable with that. It's feeling. a very powerful drug. In fact, when I was like really in the depths of my early recovery, and I do mean depths, like I was locked down in every sense of the word, mm-hmm. no driving. Nobody trusted me. I had no bank cards. It was like that. I had been stripped of everything that makes me a free man, except for not being in jail at that time. And um, on top of it, I was also in a kind of a a prison of medicines uh, because they had determined... A lattice work of of pharmacology. It was because I had these... I was in an outpatient, and then in the outpatient, I had a psychiatrist, and then we had a group, and there was a therapist... And I was going to 12-step, and so I was, they were really trying to figure this out. Like, what is up with this guy? Why does this person who seemingly has a normal life prior with no major traumas, you know, why is he continuing to relapse? Why is he continuing to destroy his life? So they, of course, determined that I, I must, you know, be bipolar, um, clinically depressed, all that stuff, insomnia, um, and, you know, couldn't control and substance use disorder, all of that stuff. So I was on enough medication <laughs> to, you know, tamp all that down. 
my impulse control was completely out of whack. And, um, and so I was on Depakote, like a thousand milligrams. That sounds like a lot of milligrams of whatever that is. Yeah. A thousand Depakote is, um, it's bipolar disorder medication. Mm. It basically reduces your highs and reduces the lows. So it brings you a little more level right? so you can sort of not be crazy. And uh, I was on all that stuff and I was, should have been, you know, a little bit more, uh, not depressed, but I was still exhibiting. Not so hyper, not so right, right. up. So I was still exhibiting signs of, and then uh, the psychiatrist, who was a really interesting character, he was like an old Freudian psychiatrist. He might've been 90, mm-hmm. very sharp though. I love talking to this guy. And he started being like, well, how much caffeine do you uh-huh. take? And I was like, I don't know. I drink like uh, one, six, maybe 16 ounces of black coffee before I get to work. And then, you know, three or four cups throughout the day. And he's like, and he said, man, he's, uh, I've seen, I've seen patients on like, um, you know, the heaviest like lithium and stuff like that, that they put on people, uh, who are in psych wards, drink coffee enough to break through the medication. <laughs> That's how powerful caffeine is. And wow. he says, you need to cut. And then I've, ever since then I've, I've cut down severely. Uh, that's that, a long, that's a discussion. Yeah, it's a long discussion about caffeine, Sorry. but, um, that's interesting that, uh, it is the drug of choice at AA meetings, you know, that pots of, you know, you get your, your commitment, you show your commitment to the program by coming and making coffee yeah. by making drugs. For I even started drinking tea at meetings at the time. I was going to like, you know, seven meetings a week mm. and, uh, I stopped drinking the coffee there and then I started sleeping. The coffee was never very good at the meetings I went to. No, especially when I was on making it. <laughs> Um, I always had a job at the meetings. I always would, uh, I'd take the garbage out at the end or, you know, and so I yeah. was cleaning the coffee pot more than I was making the coffee. Yeah. I did a coffee thing, uh, in AA. Coffee commitment. They call it a coffee commitment. They do. I, I used to go for the cookies though. Yeah. I did it all for the cookie. I like the cookies. Uh, what so what'd you do? What'd you do? Oh, I had a relaxing Sunday. Oh, you did. So it was raining. <laughs> that sounded natural, huh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, w- you know, my kids are in sports now. Every kid is in every sport all at once right now. It's chaos. Mm. And uh, there was supposed to be a soccer game. And I was like, it was raining. And I'm like, oh, thank God. I'm like, I just don't want to do anything. So after church, we went uh, to Buffalo Wild Wings. Yes, uh, I've been. Interesting place. Not really my scene. <laughs> no, but it was just, I mean, it was good to just go out with the wife and kids just somewhere to do something, you yeah. know what I mean? Eating to, greasy wings is a good uh, yeah. it's, it's time passer on a, on a rainy of, Sunday. I'm, of course, on a, on a heavy diet. Um, is it a heavy diet or a strict diet? A diet of not eating. And um, by the way, yeah. I'm down to 151 pounds wow, from 176. That is pretty amazing. And now I'm calling it a food detox when people ask, because when I just say I starve myself, everybody gets a, a funny look on their face and nobody likes a skinny guy. They're always like, you're too skinny. Look at you. You need to eat a sandwich. Uh, Have a sandwich, would you? Just keep, uh, keep going the way you're going. Eventually, you'll disappear, which Don't is you probably have your goal. bagels where you're from? Don't you want to smear a cream cheese? Mm. The answer is no. I don't want to smear a cream cheese. I like my bagels toasted with sliced Nova Locks and a dollop of whitefish salad. And nothing else That's on the bagel? It. That's it. What it, kind of a it's amazing. fucking philistine are you? you it's a seventeen dollar cream cheese to that. It's, I hate cream cheese with a just, just flaming just a passion. smear, I just hate, a little bit. Cream cheese for me is just it ruins everything. Well, put butter on it then. Butter, 
Yeah, one day I'll let you try half of one. Listen, I, I have eaten every permutation of bagel known to man living on Long Island. And, and the idea of putting Nova and whitefish salad oh, on a dry so, bagel. No, toasted. Yeah, even worse. The Nova, if it's good, has like oils and stuff. It's not like dry. I don't know. You got to have Throw a Throw a slice of tomato on there, maybe. Maybe some tomato. All right. This All right. is enough. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so you humor. went to Wild Wings uh, and you sent me a picture from there of this old woman in a Golden Girls jacket <laughs> sitting in front of a so, line of keg taps that was probably like 30 of them. I was. <laughs> so we're sitting there at the table and I look over in the bar. At Buffalo Wild Wings. I think this is a national chain, so everybody can appreciate this. There's like a hundred beer taps. And you know, it's whatever, whatever time it was, like two o'clock. <laughs> Definitely not after five. No. And uh, I, I got to post this picture now. I, was, I was, wasn't sure I wanted to do that, but it's not her face. But it's just- like, Definitely not. It's a woman, I don't know, in her 60s or 70s, in a full-on like jogging setup, get-up thing. Like, you know, those like jogging suits. It's very 90s Long Island. Right. But it had this- <laughs> portrait like a cartoon portrait of the golden girls and it said the golden girls yes and uh it was amazing and i took a picture of it so maybe we'll post that and what was blanche drinking what did she have <laughs> blanche dubois did i say this last week because we're studying streetcar named desire i believe it you did okay and blanche dubois is actually from streetcar and that's that's where they got the inspiration on the golden girls either for that or you dubois. said it to me on a text see here's the thing i don't yeah. remember i don't remember nothing so, that's why i write yeah. everything down so okay so let's let's not leave the the listener in suspense any longer no did you drink beer at buffalo wild wings absolutely. or did you not absolutely no drinking okay i was <laughs> not even remotely enticed um that <laughs> that place just grosses me out to be honest with you like the beer thing going on in there mm, yeah, it's, it's not i mean the food their their chicken tacos the, are pretty good because the they have chopped good. they have chopped bacon in them which is okay. always a good thing it's a good idea uh, the wings i don't know i don't i don't i can't eat their wings why i like hurricanes wings better if you're talking about shitty wings you know i my wife's like aunt's son owns a hurricane wings nearby sias bah yeah, yeah. really mhm is that, that place is it? Realize realize that, I don't know. I don't know well, I was just going to say once all of the bars in Zayasa closed down, yeah. uh, that became the bar. So that's where everybody goes to get shit faced. No, so I take the family there for dinner occasionally. And everybody's my, wasted. My, yeah, and, and the whole bar, it's like it's like they took the Shamrock Pub and moved it, dunk, into Buffalo. Uh, Interesting. Buffalo, Hurricane. Yeah, the in between closed. The in between closed. Yeah. The Shamrock Pub closed. The upper deck closed. Wow. There are no bars in Syosset anymore. So that's good. I mean, it's sort of like one of those fake ants that's just like close to the family and it's her son. Oh. And um, I don't know. We came home afterwards and the kids just went on their machines, which I hate to do, but sometimes Nat needs a break. Plug you know? them in. That's it. And uh, and we had a cool morning. They were good at church. And I said, you know what? Fine. And the wife and I actually did something we haven't done in a long time. And it wasn't that. Oh. It was watch TV <laughs> together. Oh, no. that's nice. We watched, but it was just, we watched a couple of shows. We watched this really cool new show called uh, Made for Love on HBO Max. It's just that like, sounds awful. It's this no, it's great, man. <laughs> it's this creepy sci-fi oh, like dystopian future. That stuff. sounds better, dude. I'm telling you, it's what's it's, it called again? It's called Made for Love. Made for Love. Yeah. Okay. It's got um, some really good actors in it, and it's like a little funny and dark and like dystopian. Oh. Dude, you would love it. Or like 
America these days. America. And uh, I took a nap. And that's, that was the point of the story. The headline here is, <laughs> I took a nap. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, now you have uh, not taking a nap yes. on, uh, on the show. <laughs> I took a nap. And, uh, and, it was you, just, and it was a much needed refresh, I yeah, bet. It was one of those naps where I woke up for it and from it and like my bones were like, t- like no, don't move. And mm-hmm. like, it hurt just to move. I was like, oh, that felt good. It hurt so good. <laughs> Ooh, baby, make it hurt so good. Okay. Sometimes what? Don't feel like it should. Love. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. love. I, I know. I know. Sometimes love <laughs> don't feel like it should. So baby, make it hurt so good. John Cougar. Mellencamp. Right. Very good. I, I re- recall him as John Cougar because that, that was the age when he, it was just he Coug- splashed onto the scene. Do you think there was a guy in one of those marketing meetings who was like, what if we just go Cougar? Yeah. I think that's exactly what happened. And <laughs> and he's ter- he said later on, once he made his first like $10 million, he's like, fuck this John fuck Cougar, this Cougar shit. crap. Where did right. they come up with that? And he had a heart attack when he was like 25 or something. It was crazy. That's weird. Crazy. Yeah. I wonder if that was drug related. Um, I don't know. So, are you considering building a treehouse? I mean, I, I sold that pretty hard in the intro. Even though I have no idea how to build a treehouse. Uh, so, here's the thing. My wife has been busting my balls about building a treehouse for years. But and, she's very cool, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. She's great. She's great. And but happy she, birthday, too. But so, I mean, when my wife busts my balls, it is, it is a very light bust. It is just an accumulation of, of things over, over a certain period of time. It's a gentle kick in the nuts. I, she may give me an idea that I might want to go out and build a treehouse, yeah. right? It's very uh, passive-aggressive. So for, for the last few years, I've been getting that message. And um, it's always been like, you know, because I don't know, you ever watch like that treehouse show on A&E? The Nelson Treehouse, yes. the guy builds these fantastic like treehouses. to it. Yeah. He's the blonde guy. looks like it's from a uh, Christopher Guest like mockumentary guy. Best in uh, show, yeah, spinal right. Tap. It could be sure the guy who did yeah, spinal. yeah, yeah. It's like, but um, but so I, I finally yesterday the other day I'm like, how do I go about building a treehouse? Um, I download, I buy, I pay somebody on Etsy forty dollars for plans because I have a, I have one tree. Couldn't find that. No. What does it have to be specific to your trees? Yes, in that? because okay, my yeah. tree is like up against a fence, so that it has to the platform has to come out on one side. Jesus, man! Right, and so I download these plans, and I'm reading through them, and I'm like, I can't build this fucking. This tree. is plans for the death. It's like plans for the Death Star. You need yeah. like yeah. a I, legion. I, I just do. I'm it. looking at it, and I'm like, I could get, I can get the hardware, I can get the not the software. You can, I can get the software. <laughs> I can get the wood. I can have it all delivered to the house, and then I need to figure out how to put it all on the tree without killing myself or one of the kids when it's done. And you sort of tentatively asked me to help you. And yeah, very tentatively. For full disclosure, <laughs> my wife does the spackling of things in the house. I don't know how to spackle. <laughs> so if, if like a door opens and there's a hole in a wall, she's the one that spackles because well, uh, it's just not me. Speaking of wives getting spackled, our wives are going out tonight. They're, they're, oh, yeah. They're going to... Um, it's an unfortunate euphemism. Oh, did that mean something else? It could, I didn't even occur on to how, me. Uh, I did, honestly. My brain doesn't work that way. Oh. I'm sorry. Hey, we both have 10-year-olds. You don't like hear this all day long from the kids. They're ridiculous. Not my kids. Maybe your kids are 10 going on 50. Dude, I don't Noah know. Noah is ridiculous. Anyway, so they're going out uh, to have um, a thing, a girl date or whatever you call it. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, um, and you know what? And my wife, Christine, reminded me that they were friends before. Of course. Is that, is that yeah. true? They and set I, us up on that blind date to go to the Yes concert. That's right. And uh, if you don't know about that story, <laughs> go back, I think, to the first episode when, right. we, when we discussed it. It was funny. But yeah, so they were, because they were like mom buddies, you know, like 
they they met because our kids are the same age, right? And your wife was like the Cub Scout leader, mm-hmm. and then so the few times that they, you know, you talk to people, it's like, oh, she's cool, and um, yeah, and then now they're hanging out, and and we're not. Do you know where they're going? No, I do. Where they're going to that restaurant down the block, the where the outside seating is. Oh, really? Yeah. Who's paying for that? <laughs> you and me, apparently. What the hell? I didn't approve of this. <laughs> hey, listen, they both have jobs. They have their own money. So that is they're true. They're paying for their own, their true. own fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, I see. think of how, what an antiquated sexist comment we just it, made. It really right? was. Who's they, paying for well, that? Well, I was, re- <laughs> <laughs> I was just. We're both going to get in trouble. The, my tongue was <laughs> firmly planted in my cheek. <laughs> um, okay. Tongue and cheek, people. So, what is this about a possible family trip to Jellystone Park with Mike's family? <laughs> what is that? Well, I don't know if anyone's brought this up with you or Aaron, but Christine and I have been mentioning it to one another because <laughs> we want to go on a trip. Um, yeah, to like a different. We're going to Mexico. Um, yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, in uh, August, that's done. But there's this Bring place. Sunscreen. There's this. Uh, the what? Bring sunscreen. Sunscreen. August, Mexico in August is oh, hot. I don't, I don't need sunscreen. Look at this. Look at this color that I've got going. That's I've got the, the. I've got like a Mediterranean. That's what my kids said. Browning. Um, so uh, they. Um, I completely lost what we were talking about. Jellystone Park. So it's just really cool, like sort of like a campground type place where you could either bring your. Um, your trailer, you know, set up mm-hmm. or they have like lean twos or you can even tent camp. They have like a lake to fish in. They have like a, one of those Gabba balls or what is that game where they run around <laughs> in circles? Gaga pit. Gaga pit. They yeah. have a Gaga pit even. And like lots of grounds. It's very cool. They do like laser tag stuff. And we went a couple times. We love it. And she was like, wouldn't that be cool to go with, um, with, uh, Aaron and her family? Yeah. Not, not Mike and his family. Is it? <laughs> her family well, and uh you know because our our kids hang out and um and we we hang out obviously right and uh i was like that would be awesome but i don't know if anybody ever mentioned it to you maybe I, she mentioned it to aaron. aaron aaron mentioned it to me uh i'm always up for for some sort of camping or it's outdoorsy cool activities you don't have to do like the like you can do pseudo camping where they have these little wooden houses that have like actual beds See, and i plumbing. actually like the i know camping, i do camping, too but, but it's fine i i'm i'm also old and cranky and i can you guys can bring that. a tent too you can camp outside it, well, each little house has its own little like place to make a fire if there outside. are you could cook your own food if there are available flea infested mattresses yes. that hundreds of other people have slept on it's, i will go that way i'll do that it's it's good it's gonna be cool so one of these days we're gonna go on a trip together it'll be fun well we should do it where is it is it upstate or downstate it's like in jersey i think it might be pennsylvania either, i think it's pennsylvania okay yeah. i like pennsylvania it's not far it's there's two, hiking two and a half yeah all i like to that, hike all of that stuff is a jellystone and it's it's a lot of fun so maybe we'll do that maybe we should do that um are we boring people do you think i don't know i don't know either. Um, You're so, closing in on your bachelor degree. Yeah, man. Um, I'm gra- just trying to move things. Thank along. you. I'm, sorry. I'm graduating. Uh, all, if everything goes the way it should, uh, May 13th. So I'm looking very excited for uh, <laughs> oh, wrong one. <laughs> Yay! Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm going to have a bachelor in English literature, and now I'm starting to think about what am I going to do with my life. Hmm. I mean, the store is great, 
and um, it's doing great. It's like up 2,700%. That's the number I keep seeing on my reporting. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great if it wasn't just this last three weeks. You know, it's Well, just- hopefully this recovery has legs. I mean, people are talking about a 6% uh, GDP increase over the next year. Well, the government keeps great. cutting its checks. That's a no-brainer. Well, that's that's the thing. I think the government's not going to be cutting anybody any checks anymore. Mm. You know, well, so hopefully it can you can make we can maintain momentum. But well, this I'm, isn't a show about uh, economics and macroeconomics. It isn't, but I, but yep. I hope I hope you're right, and and this keeps up because I think there's pent up demand, and yeah. all you know, all the kids' sports are all coming back, and you know, I don't know. And it's one of those things. Like I'm all right now. I have all the customers I've ever wanted, and now I say. Now, do I want this? Is this something I want for my life? Right. My well, least? that's alcoholic thinking, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> do I deserve success? <laughs> but I, there's so, much, so many exciting things that I could do. Like, um, you know, I'm finishing college. I was really, really thinking about getting my master's in social work so I could be do private practice so you could therapy. Be poor with a with a bigger, better degree. Yes, <laughs> I, that's what I was. <laughs> that or be a teacher. Yeah. I was actually originally... You would be a great teacher. I was a music education major for about three years at a very prestigious uh, music school upstate. Mm. And uh, and so I was always... I don't know. I, it's such a great job around here to be a teacher. But if you got your MSW, then we could open a rehab and make a ton of money. That's what I really want to yeah. do. Like and, and help serious. people. And we could have an online community where there's actually someone who's a licensed therapist, you know, that could help. Let me tell you. So that would be cool. It doesn't seem to be stopping people from having online communities. I know, I know but I want a little bit of credibility. Besides, I just You have, have credibility. Yeah, because I, it's all branding and marketing. You know, this, is, this is a facade, <laughs> Mike. This is all acting. Again, attic thinking. Yeah. It's so crazy. What is that? It's imposter, imposter syndrome. Yeah, I am like the poster boy for imposter syndrome. Oh, well. My peas are popping. I don't know. And we should get a pop screen. Get a pop screen. Yeah. We used to fashion those in, in college when we were recording d- d- demos and stuff. And we just had like our little, you know, Tascam, you mm-hmm. know, uh, four track or whatever. And we would make a pop filter out of pantyhose and a metal hanger. You'd like rearrange the metal hanger and mm. put the pantyhose over it. And then you could, t- you could tape it to hang- a mic stand. Yeah, Whose well, pantyhose were they? That's a great quote. We would buy them from the student union. Huh. Yeah. You guys would? Yes. Mm. We didn't care, man. You, you guys could buy were cigarettes. ahead of the curve. Hey, man, we would buy cigarettes and pantyhose. I mean, I wonder what they thought was happening. <laughs> like, I don't know what you guys have planned. Just a but fun Friday night count me with the boys. Out, you know? um, but I don't know. I don't know if I, what I want to do. I don't know. Um, but, You'll uh, figure it out. <laughs> Plenty of time. Uh, so we were having the last thing we we're going to say during housekeeping. We were having a pretty funny conversation. We were texting each other. We we were having a conversation over text, and anytime we say AA in a text, it autocorrects to triple tr- A, three A's. Yeah, and uh, and so we started, you know, making jokes about like how much a triple A has saved us, and, and yeah, how we just have to give our will over to triple A. Well, I, I just kind of, I started going off on the, uh, the 12 steps of, of AAA of the Automobile Club of America. The first step is to admit that you're powerless over whether your car starts in the morning or not. Right. Uh, <laughs> shit. The second step <laughs> came to believe that a mechanic greater than myself could start my car. Third step, make a decision to turn my keys over to the mechanic as I understand him. Fourth step, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. Why the fuck did I leave the interior dome light on last night? <laughs> Fifth step, admitted to the mechanic, myself, and my wife that I'm a moron for leaving the lights on. 
That's right. that's my that's my Letterman. Uh, Thank you, top Dave 10 Letterman. Uh, I love it. I, I, because <laughs> you can use that for anything that's ever helped you. Like I've been in situations where nobody could help me. Yeah. There's nothing I could do, and I dialed that phone number, and voila, yes, my life was saved. I mean, how many times has AAA saved me? How many times have I saved you? Yeah, at least twice. <laughs> at least. Twice. But when you couldn't be there, who was there for me? God, AAA. Oh, AAA. AAA. Yeah. All right. So we've got a very, uh, a very cool uh, topic today. Our main topic discussion is the book by uh, Paul Churchill called Alcohol is Shite. Alcohol is shit. Right. Right. I don't like to curse. What I like about this what? episode is if we put shit or some kind of curse in the title, downloads go up by like 20%. Do they really? They do. Okay. People we'll search for vulgarity on the internet. I know. Who knows? Let's see. Um, so, okay. Alcohol is shit. Uh, by Paul Saddle Up Churchill. Saddle um, up. He says so who, saddle up every minute. So who is... Um, is saddle up. Are we getting on a horse? Where are we going on a horse? Well, okay. Towards sobriety? So, so Paul Churchill is... Many of you don't know who he is, so I will tell you who he is. Paul Churchill is the guy who created the Recovery Elevator podcast that some of you may be familiar with and also created the online community known as Cafe R.E., for recovery elevator, I, just I assume. Wanted to join that. Me too. It's uh, twenty bucks a month, Ugh. and it's limited to three hundred people in discrete groups, and everybody gets together and talks about um, recovery, and they have a book club, and they have all this other stuff. And uh, I have to say, like, I found Recovery Elevator first when I stopped drinking. Mm. It was before I made my way to over to, to Annie Grace, and I listened to a lot of podcasts which Paul was hosting at the time. He has since turned the podcast over to Odette. Odette who now runs it. And I, I confess that I've sort of don't listen to it much anymore, but I kind of wasn't listening to it much uh, when Paul was at the end of his tenure yeah. there either. But uh, it filled, it definitely, their approach to recovery was sort of the first alternative approach that I had come across that wasn't AA. So I was fascinated by it. And Paul is a pretty engaging uh, guy yeah, on his podcast. he's a bit of a flake, he's, but he's, he's very smart. He is. Um, he grew up in uh, Utah, uh, and was like a Christian amongst Mormons, right. uh, which he mentioned in in his yeah. in his book that he grew up uh, being excluded from birthday parties and whatnot since he wasn't um, wasn't a Mormon LDS as they prefer to be called. Right. Um, and then, in, so he went to college, and at age twenty three, he moved to Granada, Spain. Um, he had been there as an exchange student the year before. He moved back. He bought a bar, <laughs> and during the uh, the next three years, he really developed a, a whopper of an alcohol problem. Uh, blacking out close to seven nights a week. Uh, in the book, he talks about how he would wake up. He would go to bed at like four o'clock in the morning when the bar closed. He would wake up at six. He would go to the convenience store across the street, buy a box of wine and two tall boys, yeah. drink all of like a liter of wine and two tall boys, fall back asleep and then wake up you know, in a panic. Uh, and he did this for um, like three years um, until... He had a panic attack that was so severe that he got into a cab and went to the hospital. And the doctor was like, you know, there's nothing wrong with your heart, but you might want to cut back on the drinking a little bit, uh, advice that he ignored. But at some point, he realized that um, that the, that perhaps owning a bar in Spain was not, Sounds like a, <laughs> not a good way. Dream. I mean, doesn't it? And Granada, if you've, I, which I have been to he that city. It is a gorgeous city. Night. I know. It sounds, sounds wonderful. Um, Ruined it with drinking. So in 2009, he walked away from the bar hoping to pull a geographic uh, and that coming back to the United States would um, somehow 
relieve the drinking problem, but uh, he continued to drink for another five years until he took his last drink on September 6, 2014. Uh, in February of the next year, he launched Recovery Elevator when he was six months sober, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay. And he did it as an accountability tool for himself so that he would quit drinking. Because, you know, you, when you're out there every week right. talking to people about being sober, right. as helps. you know. Yeah, it's great. This <laughs> it's, is my it, program. This is right my, my program, too. Uh, and the podcast has been very successful. It's got 3 million downloads uh, in the 95th percentile of all podcasts on iTunes, which is fucking crazy when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. 3 million um, at the time of the writing, or is that the latest? Well, the book came out in 2019. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, you so know, probably like even where, more. Right. Like, um, Dopey's at, like, over 5 million. Is it really? And they've been in uh, 5.6 now. Wow. Uh, so Paul currently lives in Bozeman, Montana, and he, uh, no kids, no wife, but he does have a standard poodle named Ben. Yeah, he it's so, out. so weird, his deal with the, the poodle when he talks about it. It's so <laughs> creepy, man. I love Paul Churchill, but man, the, the poodle thing is just so bizarre. I don't know. I mean, you can get very attached to your He's dog. like fetishizes the poodle. All right, I don't want to like kill Paul about his dog but it's weird i will say one thing in the book that when he was talking about how you know alcohol makes you break your promises to people that you love and he goes through this whole thing about i'm sorry ben Ben i know you're looking at me with those big brown eyes and i can't take you for a walk today but you know it's sticky but it's but i think he's serious you know i'm like another person would would do that about their children, right. maybe not about the dog. Listen, but- a lot of people love their animals, and I'm guilty of that, you know, but when you also have kids with your animals, you see that there is a <laughs> when big you have difference. Kids with your animals? When you have is that, kids. Is that, <laughs> is that even mean? possible? <laughs> the kids are a lot like animals, but... Uh, they are, like small feral animals. Yes. Uh, so he writes this book to, to capitalize on the success of the podcast, and... Um, I don't know. I read the book when it came. Well, read. I listened to it, and he reads it. It's one of those books that yeah, you know, well, read by the, the author, author reads which is himself. Sometimes a disaster, including <laughs> including he reads the uh, he reads the typos. Did you notice that? No, there's a couple. Really? Yeah. When he talks about Noah on the ark, yeah, I re- and he said that. Noah, you know, Noah drank too much and passed out in his. The word should have been tent, but he said passed out in his tift or something. And, oh, he and did? then I looked in the book, and the the wrong word is in the book. <laughs> But whatever, you yeah, know, that's that's like, I, you know, what a stupid thing to like. I think pick, he's doing shtick, though. He must be doing shtick. That's got to be on purpose. I don't know. So I like the book. Like, I, I like, listen to it. Like most of the bo- these books of like this type, this that sort of fall into the stop drinking self help category, I guess you'd call it. He starts by laying out the problem, right, and discussing how shitty and addictive alcohol is. Yeah, it's and like the Annie Grace type of stuff. It's along those same lines, which we both really like. It's a cognitive, you know. Yes, he, I mean he he talks about some of the meditating though too. Yeah, that's that's in the in the how to um, how to overcome the the the, the drinking. Right. But in the beginning, you know, he and he and Annie Grace both fall into the whole um, the subconscious being where all the activity happens. Yes. Right? Same thing with the Gabor Mate. Right. And he, yeah. he cites both Annie Grace and Gabor Mate in his book. Uh, talks about that a little bit. Um, but he goes into the nature of addiction, which I thought was really interesting because he drew from a couple of different sources um, and kind of 
does a survey or overview of the current state of addiction science, which is basically addiction is complicated. It's a biological, genetic, social, political um, yeah, and nexus. That's, that's what motivates the show, too. I mean, that's what we're trying to do here is uh, examine these things. It's complicated, and it's a biological, genetic, social, political. And uh, what's the Latin? Speaking of Latin, he, he teaches us some Latin. Yes, uh, addictus is the root of the word addiction, and uh, you were an addictus. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you didn't pay your bills, you were apparently given to your creditor as a slave. And so slavery is at the root of the word addiction. Which yeah. I thought was interesting. And now I did when not you don't pay, that. now when you don't pay someone, you're just a dick. <laughs> right? Wait, we have a thing for that. <laughs> right? I can't have to do sound effects. Uh, and then he goes on to to correctly, in my estimation, a note that addiction begins and ends with pain or trauma. Right. I mean, uh, and as we've discussed in the past, what's trauma for one may not be trauma for another. So it's very difficult to have an objective definition of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, because he, he admits that he did not have any real trauma growing up, uh, but he had some romantic issues, and he had the issues of being excluded as a child. Um, yeah, right, as a mother. You know. And I, I love, when, when I would hear people say that when I was in the rooms early on and I was going to meetings, and whenever I heard a speaker say, like, you know, I didn't, ha- I wasn't traumatized. I had a great childhood, but mm-hmm. still I gravitate to this because that's my story. I wasn't traumatized. I mean, you, maybe there's some trauma there. That's just like, like the grammatical trauma that I suffered under my father, constantly <laughs> correcting my, my grammar and constantly being corrected by a father is definitely something. Right. But I wasn't like beat or whatever, any of that but stuff, but s- it doesn't keep you from addiction. Well, I was listening to another podcast last week, um, the one from the lady who lives in our town who can never remember the name. Soberful. Of Soberful. And she's a therapist. Victoria and her, Val- Veronica, Veronica Valley. Veronica Valley yes. and her buddy Chip. Yes. And they were talking about how uh, this came up in their podcast. And they said they when they work with people, they often ask them what their childhood was like. And they said, you know, we've, we've had, part, we had great childhoods. That's not at the root of anything. But all they have to do is scratch a little bit at the surface and then they find they find yeah. the thing. There's yeah. always there's always something. Always something. You know? um, so you know, obviously that's important. And and then, um, but he sort of goes through each one of those things in turn, like genetics and um, genetics development loads the and gun. dopamine. Right. That whole expression of genetics loading the gun and environment pulling the trigger. Yeah. Uh, the expression of genetic predisposition is conditioned upon environment. But then he goes on to talk about how you know they've never been able to find a gene for addiction, but They have found that people with addictive natures or whatever you want to call it or who have developed addiction have something called enhanced dopamine receptors on a particular gene in their head. Right. And he said that the the problem with that was the reason why that study doesn't like prove that there's a gene is because they only tested for this after a person was already an alcoholic. So they think that you're not born with it, that it's environmentally based, like that the dopamine, the difference in the dopamine processing or whatever, they only know about that, that it gets changed from abusive alcohol drinking and and drugs, right? Well, how how would you test for it before? 
Well, they would have to have a control group. You know, I'm not a scientist, but the way I understand experimentation and so forth is that there's a control group. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So the control right. group would be the group of people that match the socioeconomic demographics of the other group, except they're before and these people are after. Because you can't predict right. the normal person, so to speak. Or can you? Or can you look at these people's genes, find this... Um find this dopamine gene and then see if it's mutated and yeah. then see how many of those people become alcoholics. Right. But I think Paul's point though, uh, is that, you know, we shouldn't say that there's, it's my genes and there's nothing we can do. Like a well, lot no. of people have that attitude. Genes are not your destiny. Right. I mean, whether they be Levi's or <laughs> Wranglers. Wranglers. Thank you. I, I was like, I'm not going to be able to think of this. But I think that's an important point that he's making is like, listen, everybody's saying, I have this disease. I was born with it. It's in my family. And saying all of those things may not even be true. And on top of that, it may be stopping you because you're always telling yourself, this is how I'll always be. This is how I am. It's my dad was this way. His father was that way. But the truth is, you're different and you're not encased and trapped by your um, genetic history when it comes to addiction. You are, you are not, but I would like to know a little bit more about these, these EDRs or enhanced dopamine receptors and how that plays into addiction. Because if you are a person that has this predisposition, when does that kick in? Is it after the first binge drunk? Is it after a year? Is it after two? Because like how long does it take for your genes to, to be express. altered, your DNA to be altered? Because if it is after a short period of time, then what you're getting is you're getting a biological reinforcement every time you abuse your substance of choice. Right. So is that not a genetic? Does, do, does the gene not have an outsized effect on your addiction <sighs> rather than the other psychosocial stuff? You know, it's one of those things that I'm waiting for scientists to tell me. I mean, I think the whole thing is, <laughs> is will tell me I think someday. it's incredibly complicated the way genetics interacts with environment and, and reinforcement and just simple cognitive stuff that goes on in your head. Because if you're getting rewarded every time you do a bad behavior, you're just going to keep doing it, which brings us to the rat experiment where... Um, the rat park. Rat park. Yeah, so cool. So, so the, the conventional wisdom, and there's been many studies that have shown that if you put a rat in a uh, confined environment with two levers. One is water that has just water in it, and the other is water with cocaine. The rat will continuously push the cocaine lever until it drops dead. Hey, who wouldn't? Right. Okay. <laughs> well, I, seems reasonable to me. But uh, so another scientist took that one step further and decided he was going to test the hypothesis that it was the cocaine that was the addictive agent. But he set up a rat park. I think we may have talked about this. Anyway, the rat park had all kinds of great shit in it, like uh, you know, rat <laughs> slides. mazes, slides, Netflix, and HDTV, whatever, you know, the whole the whole <laughs> nine. That that's what Paul says in the book, right? HDTV yeah, yeah. playing it's always sunny in Philadelphia, which I've never watched, but apparently some people like that show. He also loves Third Eye Blind, which drives me crazy. I can't even. But um, so and what they found when you put the rat in rat park with other rats and, and a, and a big environment and lots of room to play around in is that, um, they gave the rat the choice of, um, an uh, opiate water or water with the, with some kind of, um, opiate agent in it or the plain water. And in this particular case, the rat went for the plain water more. When, now, I don't know why you, they didn't replicate that study using cocaine because yeah. in my mind- That would be apples to apples. Yeah. Because, you know, I think there's a difference. 
I mean, yeah, it's all dopamine receptors, but you know, if I'm pressing the cocaine lever, I'm going to keep pressing the cocaine lever, whether I'm sitting in a really nice penthouse on Park Avenue right. or whether I'm sitting in a crack house in the Bronx. Did any know? of the rats like write a concept album and like <laughs> try and record it in one night? Because that's what cocaine would did for me. <laughs> but um, do you have the? Do you have those? Yes. Files. I, I would love to listen. I, to that. I have the ultimate file. Let's let's fucking rework it, man, and put it out. Wait till you. I'll send it to you. It's <laughs> I. I kept one of my crazy, the craziest produced recordings I ever did. It's crazy. Yeah. It changes from heavy metal to jazz and techno all in like one minute. <laughs> like I'm not even joking. <laughs> that is fucking awesome. So anyway, um, <laughs> but the, in Rat Park, the point was that the rats had a socially supportive environment. The opposite of addiction is connection. connection. Which and who said that? I can't remember his name. I can't remember the his TED name Talks either. guy, and he's British, and he's not an addict, but he's like a, a child of an alcoholic. And not Gabriel Mate. No, addiction and connection is this young. Um, maybe he's just from Europe. He's a Brit or we linked Irish. to him in our first episode. I know right? it's on the first. That was so long ago, we'll do it again. But um, and so this is sort of what Paul is saying, kind of proves to him, at least in rats, that when there's when they're not alone in a single room. Even if there is a drugs available, they don't want it either as much or they don't end up being connected because they have all of this family connection, mm-hmm. friends, things to do. Yeah, except that's bullshit because you can be, as you know, if you're addicted to some kind of drugs, your family and all your social connections and all goes yeah. by the wayside and to, to continue to use the drug. Yeah. So I have, I I have real questions about that study. I know Dr. Carl Hart also makes a big deal about that Um uh, and and Mate also and and yeah, I have because I was connected before right. I started using I was mm-hmm. well connected you know exactly. I had my family so why did I start? so you know you I don't know, know that didn't stop me from I mean, the whole is addiction life. a disease is it not a disease it's really it's really back and forth and maybe it doesn't matter it I mean. I don't know if it matters. Maybe it matters in how you treat it, and and well, maybe it matters in so far as like medically accepted, accepted, right. uh, medically assisted treatment is accepted or it's not accepted, right? Because right. I mean, I take uh, if it's a alcohol, willpower thing. Yeah, alcohol has been classified as a disease since 1956, right? And they know that alcohol remolds neural circuits that assign value to alcohol over other things like work and family, right? So. Yeah, disease, it, not a disease. Yeah, know? I mean, what they explained to me in some of my initial intensive outpatient when they do the like education portion of it, they call it psychoeducation because I guess they're educating a bunch of psychos. I don't know. I always <laughs> thought that was funny, but um, they they teach you that like you know you have your brain has a threshold. I've I've talked about this before, but um, it's important. It bears repeating. There's a, a limit, right, to um, where you feel good. And when you feel a cool breeze on a warm day, you see a beautiful sunset, you, you know, you gaze into your child's eyes and you see yourself in him, you know, like, and those things make you feel satisfied, make you feel happy. Okay. And that goes up to this limit, right? But when you take cocaine, when you snort cocaine or or a drug, that threshold is busted by like, I think it was 400% and they have different percentages depending on the drug. The worst was meth, I think, as far Mm. as how high it boosts it. And so once you bust through that limit, then that that cool breeze on a warm day, that looking at your child doesn't make you feel good anymore. So you have to, it's a matter of survival to feel better, to feel good. You keep having to break that limit and then it hits a, a, there's a place where it can't go up anymore. And a lot of addicts report this, that I'm just trying to get well, I'm trying to feel okay, you know. So is that that a biochemical issue or a social issue? Well, that is biochemical. 
You know, that's your right. brain chemistry. Well, the only thing that'll get you back up to that place is more biochemistry. Right, which is why I was prescribed, you know, Prozac, Depica, right. all that stuff. Yeah. And guess what? I'm not on any of that anymore. That's good. And um, and that was with and Your dopamine doctor. things are returning to normal, to baseline. I, I, it feels that way because yeah. I get, I'm happy. I'm not always happy. Things are hard, but... Nobody's always happy. No. And if they are, they're lying to you or trying to sell you something. So... Um, but overall, you know, I get those good feelings. Sometimes I just, when my kid hugs me, like I have that good feeling. So drugs destroy that and you lose all your interest. I lost all my interest. You know, mm -hmm. I, I loved chess, you know, I loved video games. I loved, um, all the things that I love to do, playing guitar, playing in bands, just being interested in stuff that all disappeared until the only thing I wanted to do was whatever drug I happened to be addicted to that decade, right. you know? Well, I mean, I don't know. It's addiction is a, is a, is a, is a bitch. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. That's <laughs> Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Um, so, so Paul, Paul himself does not fully adhere to the disease model, right? He sees addiction as the combination of enhanced dopamine receptors, trauma, lack of emotional support in adolescence, False advertising by big alcohol he right. brings in, That's et cetera. With uh, naked mind. Um, but what he says that, that you know, the bell started going off to me is that addiction is not a defective character or a moral failing, which... Right, and that's Considering important. that he comes out of AA, I thought that was an interesting, interesting statement. He no. got sober with 12-step. Listen, so here's where you're wrong about AA and 12-step. Their whole shtickola is that this isn't a moral failing, or um, it, that's that's one of the things they say is that you can't control this. It's you're not a bad you person. You can't control this. Can't. Right. Right. You can't control it. But you're not a bad. You know, hate the addiction, love the addict. That's so, what. That's so why are we addict. writing lists of our character defects? So you can identify the things that are screwing your life up and try attempt to fix them. So what do your character defects have to do with your enhanced dopamine receptors? Well, they may be tied in together forever. It may be completely enmeshed. What does focusing incessantly on your character defects have to do with recovering from addiction? Uh, it has to do with... This isn't a quiz, by the way. Right. It has to do with identifying the things that are holding you back in your life, like... You know, I'm afraid to meet new people. Okay, that's a character defect. Now, it's while, and that's like a subconscious conscious thing. You're like, you're bringing things into the fore that maybe, you know, it took a sponsor or someone else to say, hey, the reason why, you know, you feel isolated at this meeting or that is because you have this fear. And that's a personality defect. So, therefore, now that we're aware of it, it's at the top of your consciousness. What are we going to do about it? So, you're bringing, so the idea is to bring the subconscious into the conscious mind by closely looking at your moral failings and asking God to remove them. You don't, you don't even have to use the word moral. You could just say things that... No, I think that, it says it in the steps, doesn't it? Uh, they, don't, they don't use the word moral in the steps. No. Def humbly asking God to remove our defects of character. Defects of character. Yeah. Things you do like you eat with your mouth open or, you know... God can remove you that? Pointed I got to talk to him about you that. You pray to God to give you the strength to try and be a better person. And I think there's a lot more um, parallels between AA and these things. It's just the way they're presenting it because they're trying to do the same thing as, you know, Paul Churchill and um, Annie Grace, which is these things that you don't realize you're doing, we're going to realize it and we're going to cognitively, you know, and if it's a praying to God or the universe to help you do it. So you don't have the power to unfuck yourself. 
basically. In God a- God has to do it for you. Okay, so in AA, you don't have the power. You're giving it to God. Disagree. Right, me too. But <laughs> I always say, if you, you ask God to build, to move a mountain, you better bring a shovel. That's that's my philosophy. Right. So There's um, only one prayer. It's they will be done. God's not going to come down and help you out. Yeah. In my mind, but that's me. Unless you know his brother-in-law, in, in which case. <laughs> well, it always helps to know somebody in the family. That's it. Um, <laughs> moving on. Yeah, sorry. Uh, addiction is a pathological form of learning. I like that. I like that too. What does that even mean? Addiction is, oh, I know. I, I'm raising my hand. I know. I know. I think that addiction is a pathological form of learning means, you know, you do it that first time. And then your body learns, just yes. like we said, learns like, oh, this spiked my dopamine. Do it again. Do it again. Mm-hmm. Do it again. Right. And it kind of tricks you like the pitcher plant. Mm-hmm. The pitcher plant. Yeah. Andy Grace talks about And then so much, all of that other stuff. Falls to the wayside? Co- no, it all, it all, all the social stuff, all oh, yeah. sort of works together and pushes you in a certain direction. Sort of carries you along. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. Like I listening to this book and I'm like, I really like it. I agree with him. I think a lot of this is is very important. But again, we have the same problem that, you know, Dave from Dopey said, I don't know if he said it on our show or to me when we were talking about it. He was talking about like, well, how good is this for like the acute sufferer? You know, like if I think about where I was the day before my last relapse um, or the, the day of, there's no book out there. There's no sponsor. There's no nothing. So the big book included. Everything goes out the window when I was there. So what I had to do was get desperate, like get real desperate, get save my life desperate, fight or flight for the right reasons to the right place. And that's me. I mean, maybe that was me taking, using my will. So what was the right place? (sighs) The right place was to go to, for me, it was go back to my my um therapy place my uh, where i was going to to uh, groups and my psychiatrist mm-hmm. after my od and we said okay what do we do now right and he had a plan thank god i had this psychiatrist who sounds like he was a good psychiatrist he's the best he actually saved he definitely was one of those guys he prescribed me naltrexone and campril i've talked about this before and it was all to suppress cravings for everything. And that's mm-hmm. what those drugs do. I went on those uh, medications and I decided from then on, I'm going to do whatever this motherfucker says. Mm-hmm. No matter what, I'm doing it because I've never done it before. I've never done all this and gone to meetings you know, at this place with a clinical licensed therapist. Um, it wasn't 12-step. It was like outpatient with a real actual right. clinical therapist and other people. And I was engaging in 12-step uh, you know, studies and thinking and reading the literature. And six months of doing that, I didn't crave alcohol once. And because I didn't crave alcohol, I didn't drink alcohol. And because I didn't drink alcohol, I didn't do cocaine and so on. Interesting point, because somebody posted something on the dopey board the other day. Um, like, who are these people that do drugs without drinking? And I was like, I totally identify with that. I could count on one hand the amount of times I did cocaine when I wasn't drunk first. Yeah. I mean, literally one hand. It was the first time I bought Coke. Yes. It was the second time I bought Coke, which was 20 minutes after the first time I bought yeah. Coke, and maybe one other time. Yeah, because that's i i totally you know that's me too it, it always went together like um that there are people that don't drink and they just go out and do drugs like i'm like how does that even happen you know when i was addicted to heroin um 
I didn't drink for a long time because unless I couldn't get my shit. And so I started to get sick. So sometimes I would drink okay. to try and alleviate the anxiety, yeah. which well, it, Paul mentions that about alcohol, how it, uh, it, it, there's some interplay with op- opioid receptors and, and alcohol, which is why some people who are addicted to heroin can drink and have that work as a stopgap. Yeah. Which I thought, which I did not know. Hmm. Um, I didn't know alcohol had much to do with opiate receptors at all. But, um, well, the, the, and I think the point here is that we don't understand the brain the way we sort of need to, right. to make these kinds of claims. Everything right now, and that's why it's so ripe for, um, study and um, because there's all of these discoveries being made and part of the problem I'll say with the big book and um, and a lot of people point this out you know, Bill W in the big book says you know he, he makes the point that there is no medicine available at this time mm-hmm. that can fix this right and he was right but today I will tell you I am an example of a person who modern medicine helped to, you know, recover. So, and, and then so true AA purists who are fundamentalists that read the big book will tell you that um, he was saying, you know, what would Bill have said had he known about all these modern developments in craving medicine? You know, maybe he would have said, you know, MAT is great because back then they really wasn't medicated. Assisted. I think he would have jumped on it. It was hydrotherapy, which is just like fire hose watering people down or something like they, <laughs> I'd they, like to try that electrotherapy, <laughs> you know, shock treatment. I would not which like to try that. They start shock treatment is a thing again. Um, well, it's, I was offered it's that proven, uh, I was effective for some kinds of depression. Right? Yeah. One, one psychiatrist I had for uh, suboxone uh, prescriptions at one point, he like had the machine. He's like, Oh, I got this new thing. It's the, the newest thing in addiction. <laughs> And he ended up dying of brain cancer like months later. The, <laughs> no, that's actually true. Interest, like, uh, it's just interesting to me that, you know, AA is, is, the whole thing is predicated on the fact that it's a disease and yet medical intervention is looked at with suspicion. Yes. Uh, you know, and, um, so I, I don't know. But whatever, I'm not, I'm not going to turn this into another AA bashing session. There's no, I love AA and I'm, I'm still, and you're still giving me shit about saying things like, oh, I'm looking to go back. And I, I would not give back. you shit. I'd said, I did not give you shit about that. Yeah. You, but you by go. saying I'm not giving you shit is like, I am giving you shit. <laughs> I'm not even trying to passively aggressively give you shit or gaslight you go back to AA. If you, if you feel that, like that was will be passive helpful. aggressive gaslighting right there <laughs> in saying that, <laughs> hey, you know, okay. you may be a lawyer, but I was raised by lawyers. And uh, <laughs> one is poor Ben, and you claim you have no trauma. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is something for another show, but that is part okay. one. I part think we're going to close um, it out here. Yeah, because uh, I have to pee. Tune next week because Paul gets into his method of how to um, unfuck yourself, uh, and I'll just give you a hint: it involves copious amounts of meditation, uh, self awareness, and uh, perhaps some. Um, uh, What's heavy petting of his um, standard poodle, and that is not a euphemism. And uh, <laughs> I want to say ibogaine, but that's not what I mean. It's uh, the other one, I- that ayahuasca. People, ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. As Paul did in the middle of his journey, um, he tripped. He went down to Colombia and did a bunch of ayahuasca, and the show changed after that. Yeah, yeah. so did Paul. But we are happy to <laughs> hear about it. So, yes. at this time, we are going to take a break for our middle-aged urination festival. <laughs> Thank you.
Nat. Nat, what time is it? It is 10.38. Nat, what time is it? It's time for Recovery in the News. <laughs> Still, even after whatever we're thirty-three episodes, that uh, the theme song just—I don't know. I we should replace it with something that's like a ticker. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Like new, the newsroom. Yeah, this, let's do it. This song just came with the board. That's why I but, use it. And I've heard it on another podcast too. I'm like, I know that really? sound. Yeah, it's because it's stock. <laughs> Okay. What is uh, this article? So today's uh, recovery in the news, there was an article in the New York Times this week uh, titled, Excessive Drinking Rose During the Pandemic. Here are ways to cut back. Many Americans increased their alcohol That's rose, intake. I think. Drinking rose during the pandemic. What? Oh, rose. It got higher. It, yeah, it got higher. Oh, shit. Just, Along I'm with sorry. everybody else. I'll stop interrupting. Go. Um, with women and parents of young children disproportionately affected. So, uh, like... A lot of these articles that have come across uh, our radar lately, uh, this one discusses about how drinking has increased during the pandemic. And I know subsequent to, well, there's a legal term. I mean, I know that after I sent you this article, you sent me a couple from the local paper that talked about ODs being up. And, everything. and then the New York Times came out with an article about right. that too. So, so obviously pandemic bad for drinking and using drugs. Nope. What bad I found interesting about this particular article was the fact that the New York Times rather than uh, suggest that maybe people who have been, their drinking has gotten out of control during the pandemic, rather than them stop drinking, they should instead uh, moderate their yes, drinking. Here's how to moderate. Here's drinking how to moderate. an addictive poison that destroys your life. And they give um, examples of people that have moderated through a program called uh, Moderation Management. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if yeah, any- that's a program. If any of you have- come across moderation management in your um, pre-abstentious, um, abstention days, <laughs> assuming you're recovering with by not drinking. I've, my mouth has just stopped working yes, at this okay. point we're, in the we're podcast. Long show. Um, you know, everybody sets rules, okay. And th- and this whole this whole article, it, it, it go through like four or five people who have each set these rules <laughs> Around their drinking, like so many of us have, and we tried to quit drinking. I'm only going to drink. Every, Jesus Christ! I'm only going to drink every. Uh, <laughs> Can you turn your phone off somehow. I'm only going to drink every other day. I'm going to yeah, only drink one glass. Right. I'm going to, you know, um, and and they cite moderation management as some sort of program that that you can you can interface with to um, cut down on your drinking. And so I wrote my own little letter to the, to, in response to this article to the New York Times, where uh, I said, yes. it is perhaps noteworthy that the founder of Moderation Management committed suicide after killing a father and daughter while drunk driving. Ooh. This was several months after she left the program she founded for a stint in AA because she was unable to moderate her drinking. Uh, moderation is difficult for most because alcohol is an addictive poison. Contrary to recent news articles, the overwhelming science finds that moderate consumption delivers no health benefits and in fact can lead to serious problems. Um, and I said, you know, if you have an alcohol use disorder, you're better served by abstaining entirely rather than by attempting to moderate. So, um, 221 people agreed with me. Uh, oh, they, they let it, they posted they it? They posted it and, you know, I got, I got some, some love and a bunch of doctors. Did you post a link to our show? Also. No, because I actually posted this under my real name. So oh. if anybody now wants to find out who I am, they just have to go to the Times article. But um, 
That's awesome. But I, I you know, it, it just it just goes to show you exactly how deep the hologram goes. Mm. That the advice is not to quit drinking. The advice is to you know yeah. maybe you can by trying this that. And so I'm reading this one, the the one person in here who said Miss um, Carbone, uh, who's as her stress level soared, so did her alcohol intake. Um, and she was saying that she was drinking a bottle of wine a night. And then she said, but now I only have one, one glass. I limit myself to one glass. So her cancer risk is only up by 15%. Only up by 15%. Okay. But, but I, I remember thinking, I, I thought to myself as I read that, like, Jesus Christ, if, if, if that were me, I would make sure that that glass was like a 12 ounce <laughs> glass, that it was topped off to the top yep. every night. And, it, and if I was out and I got a small glass, I would justify having two because two of them together would equal the one glass that I had. You know, <laughs> So I don't understand moderation. Maybe it works for some people. It doesn't work for me. Well, um, I mean, look, it works for my wife, you know. Well, she, maybe she doesn't have an alcohol problem. Well, maybe, but she still drinks at least a glass a day. And... Um, I don't know. I, I, it's so interesting being in our position, you know, with wives not in a program or not trying to abstain. Right. Um, because it's hard not to unsee or unlearn what we know. Mm-hmm. And then you, when you're watching someone you love, presumably, um, fall into that trap, you know, it's like there's almost nothing you can do except live an exempl- exemplary life so that people and that's the way we do it as presbyterians when you don't go around proselytizing the word of god and saving people you just try and live your best life and you let people see that yeah and say well what why is he so happy like what why are you doing so well I'm mm-hmm. like oh yeah you know, i just i haven't had a drink in three years you know right. and that's part of it you know it is and, i mean uh, you, you know. can't exp- tell people certain things well no, no no prophet is with honor in his own country though right i mean <laughs> I don't think my wife has a drinking problem. I don't no, think your wife has either. a drinking problem. But so. they're still drinking something yeah. that's hurting them in the right. way I see it. But people do all kinds of bits, shit that's right. bad for them. You know? I mean, including me, like this ridiculous diet. You Those know? chicken wings you were eating the other day. I only had six. That's How do you stop at six wings? I am practiced in not eating like a freaking Jesus. slob. I eat wings compulsively. I eat wings yeah. like they're cocaine. Well, this, they're is, of me. this is how I lost 26 pounds. I have I did a food detox, but go on. So it's like a, a, a cognitive behavioral therapy for food. A hundred percent. That's all I have to say. Shame on you, New York Times. You should have at least thrown a link to a, a, a sobriety program of your choice in there as well as recommending moderation yeah the editors and writers are all drunk so it's very difficult that's true anyway that's recovery in the news so so usually at this time what happens next nat this week in weird Real Housewives look for Bigfoot in an entertaining mix of two strange worlds. The latest edition of the reality TV program Real Housewives of Dallas of course. saw the ladies embark on a search for Bigfoot. The plot, such as it was, <laughs> of the program reportedly centered around Stephanie Holloman, one of the stars of the wildly popular Bravo series, taking her cohorts on a road trip vacation to Oklahoma. Shortly after their arrival, she surprises them by revealing that she has enlisted prominent Local Sasquatch enthusiast Charles Benton, who prominent, claims, prominent local Sasquatch enthusiast, who claims to have once encountered the creature, to lead them on a hunt for the famed cryptid. I love the word cryptid. Mm-hmm. Although the ladies 
bitingly dismiss the existence of Bigfoot in private confessional interviews, most of them humor Benton as he vividly recounts his experience running into the creature so long ago. Um, I'm going to stop there because this is amazing. I saw this because I get these in my email from Coast to Coast AM. Some of this is is far removed from their posh lives in Dallas. The ladies are understandably uneasy as they wade through the forest wielding machetes. I like, love what this are they article. Do? They got a machete Bigfoot? Of course, it would not be a reality television program without some proverbial sparks flying. <laughs> some proverbial sparks. <laughs> and that occurred when star Carrie Brittingham had a few too many drinks. There you go. Oh my God. There's the tie-in. Yes. And took the, she had too many drinks and took issue with the Sasquatch enthusiast's proclivity for hunting. This resulted in her berating the good-natured Benton, who was admirably unfazed throughout the very uncomfortable moment, which elicited disgust from stars of the show. Unfortunately, as one may have surmised, <laughs> the ladies did not find Bigfoot during their expedition, they, though they did stumble upon plenty of drama, which is what we're guessing was the real purpose of the hunt. Reality TV. Boom. Gotta love it. Weak and weird. Well, that about does it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Join the discussion on our exclusive and private Facebook group. If you need to talk, don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media. And we will um, respond by our bot sending you the our link bo- to our latest show, apparently. <laughs> no, no. We're really there. So if you, if you want to reach out, it's me or Mike. There's nobody else. Check out our show notes. It's a lot of the work uh, Mike puts into them is, is worth checking out. It's, they're funny sometimes. Um, sometimes. Sometimes he hits. Sometimes it's a miss. Yeah. Oh, Facebook. Do what I can. Look, look us up on social media. It's Recovery in the Middle Ages in the search box. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Tweet us a twat. You twit. And go to Apple Podcasts. It's an app on your Apple phone. In case you don't know. You, click it. Search for us. And then click on the Drunk Monk. That's our logo guy. And uh, five-star reviews will be read on the air. And... Um, We'll see. Oh, and new merch. We always want to talk about new merch. Please. Some, we'll have it at some point. Please. We have the merch. We just don't have Yeah, like we got some system. shirts, a couple of keychains. Come on. Send us some emails. Uh, Send us some love. I know. I'm going to. I'm Buy working on website stuff. Okay. Uh, as we say, non proficiat perfectum. Progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be very good. Be very good.